Welcome to FIC Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence fixed income, credit currency, and commodities strategists and analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence FIC research team. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, uh, to the third episode of Credit Crunch, uh, our uh, podcast on credit markets which part of the FICC Focus uh, podcast umbrella. I am Mahesh Bhimalingam, Chief European Credit Strategist uh, at Bloomberg Intelligence in London. I am joined by George Flynn, uh, Head of Credit at Wise Alpha. And today we'll be discussing our uh, high-yield uh, survey for the first quarter. Uh, it's a quarterly survey that comes out, uh, you know, every, every, every quarter in the second month of that particular quarter. And we've just published our results. We even held a webinar. Uh, but this is for the broader audience uh, globally. Uh, and we'll also be discussing our outlook. So the format will be that George will be asking me tough questions, trick questions, and we'll try our best uh, to answer it using uh, the survey as a backdrop. Over to George. Hi, thank you for having me. Um, yeah, so uh, we've got our survey results in. And um, overall, they show uh, a lot of different swings, uh, but generally a swing to the positive in terms of sentiment and return expectations. Um, so I guess we can start off with um, you describing sort of the positioning of returns um, uh, that the survey uh, said, and I'll interject with any questions I have. Yeah, so th this survey, I have to say, shows a big swing from the fourth quarter. Uh, when in the fourth quarter, people were quite negative, uh, even though spreads and valuations were really wide. People were quite negative in terms of their return views, in terms of their positioning. Uh, they did think that valuations were wide and cheap, uh, but they were not willing to get in. Now, what has happened is we've had a we've had a pretty hefty rally, uh, but they have turned positive in their return view. So, if you look at how many people are thinking the positive returns for next quarter for for for, for first quarter. You had a big swing from minus 17% when we say this is essentially net positive now view on the market from minus 17 in Q4 to plus 44 for Q1. It is a very massive swing. It's one of the largest positive return views that we've seen uh, in all the surveys that we've done. I mean, we've done like 10 surveys till now. And uh, you, correspondingly, you have obviously a very big swing from a net underweight of 10% to a net overweight of 15%. Obviously, people are following their view on returns with positioning. Interestingly, they are overweight, but they do believe that valuations are rich. So last quarter, people believed that uh, net 12% believed that valuations were rich. Uh, sorry, valuations were cheap. But now they have 10% people believing, net 10% believing that it is uh, that it is rich. So people see the, the rally, people see that the, the, the valuations are rich, but they're a lot more comfortable and they're, uh, you know, going overweight and they believe that returns will be positive. So, I mean, what do you think about this being a bull trap light or, or you know, people getting sucked in, buyers bringing out buyers? And then also, how do you think this is going to kind of affect the overall 
uh, outlook for returns this year, given we've had such a rally? Yeah. So here is where our view comes in. I mean, we have a published view in our monthly saying that the rally has been uh, too strong and too long. Uh, we've had like three and a half months of nonstop rally. And as a result, uh, valuations do look rich. It's about a standard deviation rich now. Uh, so it's firmly in rich territory. It's not like in October. It is not like in June when uh, high yield definitely look cheap. So we are a bit concerned. Now, all you need is some sort of headline from the Fed or from the ECB or some CPA number or some recession number from Europe uh, for us to pull back. There can be any sort of trigger. Now, so we, I personally, uh, in terms of our view, we are a bit more conservative uh, from now, given what has happened in January. Uh, returns wise, we were already, we we're already nearly 60% through uh, my return forecast of the year in one month. Now, so definitely, I'm definitely more cautious uh, for the near term. And just just touching on crossover, you know, wh where do you think that can go? Because we're, um, you know, we're 400, well, sub 400, right? Um, currently, um, so we've had a nice big squeeze in. So, I mean, do you think we get to see 500 again? Could we ever see 600? What, what, what's your I I surely cannot see 600 because for 600, you need the environment to be really bad, uh, financial conditions to be really tight. Uh, that is like an October, June sort of scenario. So 600, I definitely don't foresee. If 500 is possible, depending on how intense that fa that news is, that is turning our market. So, you know, if it is related to the war, if it is related to decision prints, I mean, growth prints in Europe, or if it uh, relates to, you know, inflation prints in the US and hence the Fed, depends on how bad it is. But I'm thinking that uh, we'll probably get to a 500 before turning back again. Yep. And just on the um, on the on the valuations, um, I mean, how do you feel um, about sort of the cash spreads um, and where they are? Um, can you give me a sense of you know what kind of snapback or sorry widening you would get on on your on your kind of headline? What's what's the give back that you're kind of expecting in your latest piece? So. If you look at if you look at the how much a standard deviation means, given that I've just said that we are a standard deviation rich, a standard deviation in really volatile times, like in October, June, used to be about 100 base points mm -hmm. in high yield. Now, a standard deviation is only 55, 60 basis points. Yeah. So how much how much widening do I see for on high yield from now? Uh, it is about that, like 60, 65-ish. Uh, is what I would think. But typically markets do tend to overshoot, so you won't stop at zero. If you are if you are widening from minus one towards fair value, you won't stop at fair value. Yes, yeah, so you'll definitely cross. So I'm thinking, you know, the, the uh, 80, 80, 90 sort of number that we've mentioned for crossover, yep. you'll probably get that in cash as well. Excellent. But remember that cash is a lot less liquid. Yep. Uh, uh, cash trading volume still haven't improved, uh, right? So the overshoot might be a bit worse than cash. Yep, understood. That, that's uh, that's good. Let's move on to our our drivers. So our drivers that we get the uh, investors to comment on um, each quarter. So we've got you know key drivers of the European high yield returns, COVID, central banks, uh, fiscal packages, and raising uh, yields and inflation. So unsurprisingly, yields, inflation, and central banks. Now there's quite a lot to unpack. 
here. So I'm just going to ask you to talk about um, inflation because obviously we're seeing uh, a, a rollover in inflation and you can kind of give me your opinion on the rollover. And then obviously we've got the three central banks and we had the meetings last week. Um, so that's very pertinent. Um, so if you could give us a, a bit of a... Yeah. So let's start with the inflation. I am. I don't think inflation is going to roll over. I think I know, we I, had I, this chat before. I know. I'm just baiting you. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think it is going to roll over. I think it is is going to be a gentle slowdown. Uh, we are already getting quite encouraging numbers. I I don't think uh, investors should expect any greater pace than this in terms of normalizing inflation. So where does that leave in terms of the central banks? So on the central bank side. Uh, the main concern always remains the Fed because it's the global liquidity determinant. Uh, but in Europe, there is a direct impact of the ECB because the ECB is going to start QT from March. That is priced in, but it is interesting to see what price it will, what pace it will be. We we have a published view that the ECB will not be redeeming half of the redemptions that are coming out. Uh, they are talking about like 15 billion uh, a month for four months, March, April, May, June. Uh, in the, obviously, all of that is investment grade, but that is going to that is 15 billion total. How much for us in corporates? That is about 1.5 billion we estimate per month, total six billion. But that is in investment grade. We will get a trickle down in high yield. My Main worry is if the ECB goes the BOE way in having a very aggressive start to QT. Last year, the BOE unwound about 2 billion a month from September to December. And in a very liquid market like the sterling credit market, even with a very tiny portfolio, you need to remember that the BOE has only 20 billion total mm -hmm. of copper bonds. Despite that, they were unwinding $2 billion a month. So, if the ECB goes anywhere close to the BOE sort of attitude or aggress aggressiveness in unwinding, uh, it is not going to look great in terms of uh, copper bond liquidity and uh, sentiment. So, that's the one I would watch. Is it more than $1.5 or less than $1.5 a month? Yep. And, like, what do you think about Powell? Um, last week. So, you know, what was your interpretation of, you know, his his comments and was he too soft? Was he just right? Was he too hawkish? What do you think? I think the, the markets really want to think that he's he's soft or he's going to get soft. Markets want a Fed pivot. Uh, <laughs> markets want a, you know, a, a Q4 cut. I don't think you're going to get that. Uh, I think in Q4, we will be in for a disappointment. Uh, the Fed will pause. Uh, in my opinion, there is no doubt about that. But I don't think they you reach the situation where they're going to cut. It's probably a 2024 story. Um, and what does higher for longer mean for credit? Higher for longer, I think, is quite priced in. Yeah. Higher for longer is quite priced in uh, right now. Uh, if you look at uh, if you look at the yields, the way they are behaving, uh, you know, bond yields. They had a small rally, but after that, they have they have stayed where it is. Uh, January, we had a uh, impetus from Bund in, in high yield returns. February, not so much. Mm -hmm. It's more spreads. Yep. Uh, so, uh, higher for longer, I, I don't think, unless it is it gets all the way into 2024, mid, then it will be a negative. 
But I think, you know, late 2023 is priced in. Okay. And then in terms of sort of yield curve inversion and, and kind of, um, you know, what, how investors should think about that. I mean, can you just give us a quick uh, two minute take on kind of what you think about yield curves, credit curves um, and, and your expectation? So, I mean, the yield curve inversion is for obvious reasons, given that the Fed is yeah. going to uh, is going to hike and, you know, uh, economy potential slowdown later on and hence longer term inflation outlook is lower and hence you get you tend to get an inversion. Uh, but that is known. Uh, the thing now that is, is priced in. Yeah, the normalization is what is getting priced in. So the, uh, the boom curve. And the treasury curve are expected to bull steepen yep. over this year, and that is the credit positive. Yep. Uh, so, what should that mean in terms of credit? Is you know uh, people really uh, held off because of this front end hikes? The front end really underperformed. Mm -hmm. uh, the long end. So this is spreads I'm talking spreads, about. Yeah, yeah, so, front end really underperformed the belly and the long end. So there is room for front-end outperformance as this uh, bull steepening happens. Yeah. So you, you think the front-end is where the... Front-end is definitely is where, where the value, value is. is. Yeah. 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 Cool. And then cash. So we had a record 7% cash in Q4. And then basically it's, it's dropped a little bit, but it's still actually quite high at 6.1, um, which is kind of why I think this is a... Know, potentially bull trap light but i mean can you just give us your view on sort of cash positioning what it means um, because obviously dry powder is a huge technical yeah so the 7.1 in uh, q4 makes complete sense right we were people were really worried sentiment was very weak so people were loading up on cash you know positioning for redemptions and all that sort of stuff now as you saw in the survey people are turning positive they were, they've gone overweight, so they put some cash to use, but 6.1% is not low. Mm. It is well above the, you know, pre-Putin. Yep. Yeah. So compared to pre-Putin, it's a pretty high number. So there is more to go. So I, I would, that is another reason why I wouldn't think that, you know, a beyond 500 crossover is happening because there is there are people ready to buy in. Yeah, big uh, underpinning. So, yeah, there is it's a pretty decent underpinning, six point one percent. Yeah, and then now we head on uh, to to defaults. So basically, this is a, a, a question where I'll, I'll let you describe the kind of the the survey results, but essentially where we you know we're still um, sort of at zero. Um, so in the index, so if you can kind of it, sort of just describe the investor. Uh, behavior around this and then kind of how you expect this to kind of develop going forward. So when we talk about defaults, uh, the, the question here specifically asks the investor index defaults, yep. because I really don't care about these tiny companies which are which don't make into the index because they don't affect our portfolio managers. So index defaults have been zero for 22 months, like it's getting to nearly two years now. Uh, that's a good positive. I mean, despite us going through the tumult of 2022. Now, what do we think going forward? Now, the clue can be got from how much market stress and market distress we see. So peak stress was around 30, 31%. This is around October. Yep. At that time, stress was around 5%, five, five and a half. Now, the stress is 14, 
and the distress is 2.6-2.7%. Yep. So, I think it plays into my view that you're going to be, uh, I mean, it's it's a very conservative view to even think that you're going to get 1% default. Because, now, because you're taking the the percentage of the distress. Yeah, correct. Correct. Yeah. So out of out of the two point six percent, maybe one percent will default this year. Peak default rate will be in two thousand twenty four, uh, because defaults tend to lag. So the peak default rate will probably be a one point three ish percent. Now, just to give you context, a context, what was the peak default rate in, during the pandemic time? One point eight percent. So I don't think you can cross that number now. Things are nowhere close to being that bad, mm -hmm. right? You know, at that time, the economies around the world shut. Yeah, but you also had a lot of support, no? I mean, it's a, it's a... No, the support was for markets, not for these small companies. No central bank cares about the our, our junk world, right? <laughs> Nobody bought junk bonds. So, yes, there is support. There is more liquidity, but the liquidity benefited banks, liquidity benefited, you know, liquid markets you know rates and uh, and and investment grade not junk so we had 1.8% default rate when literally the world shut down peak default rate so this time we'll probably get a 1.2 1.3% 2024 peak cool and then on to supply um so if you've been looking at headlines supply has been gangbusters supply has been monstrous supply is huge um so far what what What's uh, what's your takeaway, and, and and what are you thinking, sort of, about our our investors when they came back on the survey? Right. So, our investors investor survey typically, you know, we do a we do a mean of the survey responses. It generally comes between a nine and a half to like a fourteen, right? Yeah. So in bull markets it gets to like a fourteen, in bear markets it gets to like a nine and a half. Interestingly. In bull markets, it perennially underestimates, and in bear markets, it overestimates, which is the case in Q3, Q4. The survey overestimated actual uh, index eligible issuance. So what they predicted for Q1 is 11.7 billion. As the market turned, I think we are going to underestimate. Yep. But when you say huge, I think we need to qualify the huge. Yeah. The index eligible issuance, how many how much bonds entered the high yield index in Jan? Yes, 8 billion. It yep. is it is large, but there were 8 billion exits too. So the index was net flat. Yep. So net supply in the junk index was zero. So is it really huge? No. Yeah. Investment, yep. investment grade really had a huge month. Yep. Investment grade had a 43 billion positive yep. month. So that is huge. Uh, high yield, I don't think of it as huge. Yes, we will beat the survey right, yeah, number. Yeah, so so basically, always think about it as net. I always think of it as net. And the second thing is this, uh, this dynamic, this technical where supply um, keeps cash on the sidelines and underpins valuations, that's still in play. Yes, so because, because 8 billion got cancelled by 8 billion exit, essentially our investors still haven't put effectively any new cash in. Yep. They were buying in secondary. Yeah, yeah. They bought in secondary and that's why they rally, right? We haven't had net supply. So that way I get I get anchorage. Yep. Yes, we might beat the investor survey. It might look like too much uh, supply, but it's not so. Yeah, you know? Exactly. And now on to um, 
sort of relative value. Um, so investment grade versus high yield. So in the survey, we had high yield, basically another swing uh, up uh, in investors' view, viewing it positively. And that, that move relative to investment grade was, was, was larger. And uh, um, I triggered you on the on the webinar last week by saying, you know, has, is IG essentially out of out of favor? Uh-huh. Um, so I think I think I'll do it again. And you can you can for the listeners, you can uh, you can kind of. Uh, you know, yeah, I, I, I don't think IG is out of fashion at all. So, yeah. yes, the high yield numbers improved. So for people who didn't want to make any uh, take any view last quarter because things were getting too hairy, uh, sentiment was weak. Fine. But what has happened now is the investment grade numbers actually they they improved as well. So from thirty eight percent, forty two percent like IG now, yeah. but the high yield numbers substantially improved. So yeah. high yield edged IG, but people are still you know still want to be in IG. And you know in the next question in the, in the in a later question we'll answer that that positioning in IG is still adequate. Why? Because IG offers quite an extraordinary break even now. Yep. It is like, you know, nearly, despite the rally, it is still 80 basis points plus. And more importantly, the high the in, high yield to investment grade break-even ratio yep. is at an all-time low. What does that mean? It means investment grade is looking quite good yeah. relative to high yield in terms of break-even historically. Yep. Yeah, right? yeah. And just on the high yield break-even, that's around what, 200? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the record is about 265. We are about about 210. I mean, it keeps changing depending yeah. on the rally. Rally so is just about 200 now. And that's still relative. Well, I mean, that is it's cheap a, on, a raw, on a break. On a break even. Yeah, on a raw basis, it's it's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty so, good. So, so there's some value there. Yeah, no, so there is quite a bit of cushion. So, which is why we do believe that uh, high yield positive returns are, you know. I won't say, I mean, saying near certainty is a bit scandalous, uh, but that's what it is. Uh, so this this year, we, we do strongly believe that returns will be positive. If at all I am wrong, I am wrong by underestimating it rather yep. than overestimating. Yep. That's good. And then just uh, on euro high yield versus dollar high yield. So basically, euro high yield um, is preferred now over dollar high yield. Now, earlier in the year, and, and actually, I think since the beginning of our survey, dollar was uh, the preferred. Not not true. So the way the survey went was when during bull markets, yeah, yeah. when the ECB and during pandemic, when the ECB was buying, remember the Fed was not buying, uh, yeah, yeah. the euro high yield was preferred. The only time we were not preferred is thanks to Putin. So because because US high yield has a truckload of oil, yep. it is long oil. So US high yield does benefit. I mean, there might be macro uncertainty in the US, but that gets cancelled by, to some extent, yeah. by this long oil position in the market in the US oil market. Well, we are short oil, right? So, since Putin, we've had US high-yield strong preference. That has drastically come down in this survey. So, essentially, we're back to what we were. Obviously, it's a bit of an overshoot. Mm-hmm. It's, it looks like it's gangbusters. Everyone wants to be in European high-yield now. I get it. Uh, but yeah, but this is back to now. And then also, the, the, one of the other angles is is the euro strength, which which is expected to. Continue. There is that. There is that too. So if you look at the FX forecast, uh, euro is expected to strengthen by another five-ish uh, percent at yep. least. So that five plus the fact that we are we are wider relatively, 
uh, <clears throat> fact that we have we've suffered before, all of that helps. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense for, for, for portfolio managers. Now, relative value uh, in terms of uh, sort of ratings, um, there wasn't a huge amount of change in the survey. So essentially, you know, still being underweight, the sort of riskier parts of triple C, single B, overweight, uh, double B, and investment grade. So I, I guess the, the question here is, is just, you know, what's your take on that? And, and when do you think it changes? Uh, as I pointed out, uh, investment grade is clearly not out of fashion. If you, if you see, the top two picks are investment grade and double B. So people want to get into high yield, but am I really comfortable going down into single B and triple C when a potential recession is possible, when the central bank is in proper tightening mode? Probably not true. Mm -hmm. So we need to get to a scenario where, oh, the economy is fine. We are out of recession. That worry is not there. Uh, or at least we need to foresee it six months before. Yep. Then people should be piling in now. I think for now, I totally agree with the view. Sticking to IG and double Bs. And then if, if I were to push you on timing, what, like late 23? Uh, yeah, it, it is probably a Q3 23 okay. uh, view. In terms of prudence, it might still play out now. Yep. But I think in terms of risk reward, you're probably better off just stick, yeah, yeah, stay, yeah. sticking to double B and IG now. And then uh, on, to, on to sectors. So basically very defensively uh, positioned uh, across sectors. So banking communications are overweight and then we're underweight cyclicals. Again, timing uh, will be, as you say, sort of towards the end of the year. But I mean, what, what do you sort of take away from that? It's very similar to the ratings view. Yeah, you you really can't be long cyclical right now, isn't it? I mean, if, if you are really worried about potential European recession, yes, probabilities are falling. It used to be like 85. Yeah. Uh, now it is 60 to 65. Similar to the US, by the way. Yeah. Uh, you really can't be long cyclicals. And by the way, if given the way the names are distributed in our index, you really can't be picking that up saying that it is paying you a lot more. It doesn't. Mm -hmm. So when it doesn't pay you a lot more, why do you want to be long, you know, cyclical sectors, particularly cyclical transportation, basic industry, so on and so forth. So, I can see why investors are long banking, communications, and consumer non-cyclical. I I think I agree with that view. Yeah. So that 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 that's kind of it. I'll I'll let you talk about the um, the survey in a second. But I I just want to kind of say so overall uh, positioning and risk appetite is is higher, but it it's not it's not nothing crazy anything crazy. It's still relatively defensive, and and people are kind of um, looking to to put money to work, but they're not kind of diving straight in. Yeah, uh, it, it is sort of a cautious long uh, yeah. in, to summarize in, one, in one view. One, one of the phrases uh, in finance is cautiously optimistic. Cautiously optimistic, I, yeah. I, I, I hate the phrase, but that's what this is. I, I think I think from quite pessimistic in Q4, uh, you know, money going into cash and staying away from the market, underweight and so on, you clearly see, seen the turn. Uh, and I think that turn has played out in Jan in terms of returns we've seen as well. Uh, so clearly the sentiment has turned. Will it sustain? I would probably think so. Uh, once we, we, as we predict, you know, when spreads are too tight, there'll be a mini pullback. Yep. Uh, but I think the sentiment will still stay positive. As we saw, 6.1% cash does really help. So that concludes uh, our Credit Crunch episode three. Uh, thank you, George. 
Thank you. All the all the data is on our dashboard. My associate Hema Patel has been very good and kind in having all the data for you on our BISTRTE dashboard, and you can download it from the terminal. So that concludes it. Have a good have a good day, and we will see you at towards the end of the month with another episode of Credit Crunch. Thank you and Thank bye. You very much.